Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, and this is the 51st program in this series. In this program, I'm in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, and I'll mainly be focusing on verse 10 in this program. In the previous programs, I introduced the parable that Jesus is giving, the parable of the shepherd. And the purpose of the parable is to tell specific truths parabolically. He speaks about these truths indirectly, parabolically, so that only those who genuinely want to know the truths that he is speaking of will know, and those who don't want to know will have the means by which they can reject the truths that Jesus is communicating. They can just simply state that they don't understand. They don't understand the parable. They don't understand what it implies or what he's really trying to say. And the reason why people rejected Jesus and why they still continue to reject him today is not because of an argument over what is true or what is not true. In general, The people who reject Jesus are rejecting him because they do not want to endure the consequences that they will likely endure in the event that they believe in Jesus as their Messiah. Now, in John chapter 10, between verses 1 and 5, Jesus gives the parable. But beginning in verse 7, Jesus gives an explanation of the parable. And in his explanation, he states specific things that he wants people to know. Beginning in verse 7, then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And so in verse 9, we have a summary of what he means by being the door. In this case, he's talking about salvation and what happens after salvation. That there is salvation, salvation is available to be saved, but it is only possible through him. There is no one else, there will be no one else who can save anyone. And everyone is in a condition such that they need to be saved. So Jesus is proclaiming the new covenant that will go into effect soon. He is proclaiming the new covenant and he is using the word salvation in order to describe what will take place. Now, we know, according to the gospel, that salvation has to do with the forgiveness of sins and the restoration of the Holy Spirit. There was a problem, and Jesus has provided a solution. 
The problem was the sin that entered into the world through the rejection of God by Adam and Eve, and the consequence of that sin was spiritual death. The Holy Spirit was breathed into humanity as part of creation, but when Adam and Eve chose to accept a way of life according to the knowledge of good and evil, that was a rejection of God. And so God departed from within them, leaving them without the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. They were by definition spiritually dead, as they no longer had the life of God, the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within them. So there were two issues that needed to be resolved. The first issue was the sin issue, and the second issue was the spiritual death of humanity. Jesus resolved both issues. He resolved the first problem, the sin problem between man and God. He resolved that through the crucifixion, through dying for the sins of the world. And he explains this in the coming verses. He explains how he gives his life for the sheep. In effect, he will die for the sins of the world. And so he can restore to people who are willing to embrace the truth and who are willing to surrender to the new covenant, he will restore to people the spirit of life that was lost in Adam, the Holy Spirit, so that they can be made spiritually alive. And when you are made spiritually alive, you are made into a new person, a new creation in Christ, through these transitions of embracing the forgiveness of sins, of receiving the Holy Spirit, of being made alive according to the new covenant, you become a child of God and can be described as one of his sheep. And so again in verse 9, he states, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And we know that Jesus is the only way To be saved, he is the only person who has provided us with salvation. There is no one else who can resolve the sin problem between us and our God. There is no one else who can restore the spirit of life besides our God, as he has done through through the work of himself as the Lord Jesus. There is no one who can be saved except by him. But the religious leaders of that time were suggesting that if you only understood the knowledge of good and evil to the extent that they understood the knowledge of good and evil, and if you would govern your life, if you would live your life, if you would manage your flesh in the way that they defined according to the knowledge of good and evil, then you would be saved. That was what they were presenting back then. And today, the same message is being communicated by many religious leaders today. Some will be a little bit more direct about that being what they believe and what they teach. But most are very indirect about that belief. Most are very indirect about the idea that if you only know right and wrong, good and evil, and you do that which is good, and you don't do that which is evil, then you will be saved. And they say that indirectly for the most part. There is an art to teaching people to live a life in obedience to God, 
so that you can be blessed and perhaps be saved. In many cases, there are religious leaders who will say that you cannot be saved by your repentance and obedience. However, if you do not repent and obey to their satisfaction, then there is a risk that you probably are not saved. That is an indirect way. It is a subtle way to teach the same thing, the same thing that the Pharisees were teaching during the time of the Lord Jesus. It's the same message. It's just presented in a different way so that people will say, well, it's not like it was for the Pharisees. It's not like it would be if we were really trying to live according to the law, even though they really are. In effect, it really is the same thing. It's just that people are not being as honest as they really should be about this. But by default, because people will live in this way, they will never be loved by their God. They will never be accepted by their God because the message that is being communicated is that the sin issue still remains, that God still holds your sins against you in some way. In some way. And if not right now, he will by the end of the day. He's, he, there will be some way that God holds your sins against you. You must seek forgiveness through what you do. You are not acceptable to God, but we're trying to be more acceptable. You are not loved by your God in the way that you really need to be. But don't worry. Keep trying. Keep living. And you will feel more love from God as you go along and as you Clean up your life a little bit more. That's what people teach. This is what a lot of people genuinely believe. But if you are not being loved by your God, if you're not being accepted by your God personally, then the deepest needs of your heart to be loved and accepted are not being fulfilled. You are by definition, in a spiritual sense, you are hungry. Because you are not being fed in the way that God created you to be fed by him personally, to have a personal, close, interactive relationship with him. You don't have that. And that's why you feel hungry. And that's why you feel alone. That's why you feel like something's missing. Because something's missing. And what's missing is all that your God wants to give to you that you cannot receive because you believe a lot of things that are not true, that are being told to you, that you are believing from these supposed shepherds who are nothing more than robbers and thieves, according to Jesus' definition. He is the only way through which you can be saved, and he is the only way through which you can be fed through which you can grow, through which you can mature. That's verse 9, John chapter 10, verse 9. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. That means that you live your life, your God lives his life, there are times when he will go through the door and enter into your life and be a participant in your personal daily experience. And there are times when he will call you out by name 
in this abstract way, he will call you out of your present living experience to follow him and be a part of his living experience, to do things with him, to be a participant in his life and what he is doing, and then you may go back through the door and be a part of your own life without him, or maybe he'll be with you. It is a relational experience. A relationship has to do with people coming together, going apart, coming together again. It is an elastic experience where people participate in each other's lives. There are times when you will do things with the Lord. There are times when you will do things by yourself. There are times when he will do things with you. This is a general description of relationship, but as you have a need for him, you can go to him and he will provide you with all that you have a need for. Like I said, there are times when we are not depending on him. There are times when we are not trusting in him. There are times when we are not abiding in him, but that does not mean that we're not one of his sheep. It just means we are doing other things. He is the door, and he is the shepherd. And through that connection that we have with him, yes, we will be saved. And yes, there will be times when we will enjoy the pasture that he provides for us, so that the deepest needs of our hearts can be met. This is what he proclaims in verse 9. This is the purpose of his ministry. This is what he came to accomplish. Now, at this time, in this conversation where he is giving the parable, he is simply telling the people that they have a need. They have a need for him, that he is the one who will meet the deepest needs that they have, and he is going to accomplish that. That is about to be accomplished. And for them to begin to believe him, to trust him, because this is what he is going to do in the near future. Continuing into verse 10, he makes a comparison. And he says, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's what people do by default when they try to be the shepherd in someone else's life. It is something that will happen by default. First of all, they are trying to obtain the sheep for themselves Personally, this is an act of theft, an act of theft from God. Without directing them, without directing the sheep to the true shepherd through the true door to be properly fed, through this parable, that is a description of a person not genuinely being saved and living in the salvation that they have. Salvation is the restoration of life. If a leader, if a Pharisee or a pastor or anyone for that matter, prevents another person from understanding what salvation is, if they prevent another person from growing in their knowledge and understanding of the forgiveness of sins and the restoration of life, just because they're wanting these people to follow them, they're wanting people to hear them, they're wanting these people to belong to them, they want to be the shepherd of the flock instead of the true shepherd, the Lord Jesus, then by default, they kill these people. Now, this is an abstraction that can be understood in multiple ways. 
One way to understand this is that there are people who won't be saved because they don't gain access to a complete understanding of the gospel so that they might be made spiritually alive. When they are spiritually alive, by definition, there's no way for the Holy Spirit to depart from within an individual. There's no way for that to occur because there is no sin left unforgiven that would cause the Holy Spirit to depart from within you ever again once you've been resurrected from the dead. However, you can be deceived. You can be deceived. You can be misdirected. You can be misled. And that is a way of understanding how you are being killed. Because it is as if you are not alive. In the Garden of Eden, the devil deceived Adam and Eve through the promise of good and evil. If they only knew, if they only understood what was good and evil, they could simply not do that which is evil, and they could do that which was good. When they believed the satanic lie that God created us supposedly to live according to the knowledge of good and evil, then they died spiritually. That was a death. The devil was seeking to steal, to kill. And when you live in a way that God did not create you to live, he did not create you to live according to the knowledge of good and evil. That's not how you were designed. You were designed to live through a personal interactive relationship with him as a person. That's how he designed you to live. And so when you function in a way that is contrary to the design of God, then you will be destroyed. You will by default destroy yourself. Now, those who are encouraging you in this direction are certainly destroying you. But that's what it means to steal, to kill, and to destroy in this context. And today, the same message is being perpetrated. It's the same message that there are perpetrators who are looking for sheep for themselves, to follow them, to hear them, and they will kill them by keeping them from understanding or growing in the knowledge of what it means to be made spiritually alive. And they give them the knowledge of good and evil, just like the devil did, encouraging people to live in this way. You only need to know what's right and do what's right. You only need to know what's wrong and don't do what is wrong. Look at what God said about what is right and what is wrong. Do that which is good. Don't do that which is evil. Do not violate the Mosaic Law. These kinds of things. And they destroy people because we were not designed by God to live according to the knowledge of good and evil. We were designed by God and we were redesigned, recreated through the new covenant, through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit made into a new creation such that God would indwell within us personally so that we can be made into a child of God and he can give to us as an inheritance all that we need for life and godliness. And all that we need for life and godliness is for our hearts to be fulfilled. Fulfilled by the love of God, by the acceptance of God, by his understanding, by having meaning in our lives 
through our relationship with Him. Purpose in our lives defined through our relationship with Him. We have a spiritual problem that can only be solved spiritually by the Spirit of our God through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, but everyone is still busy trying to negotiate the issues of do we live by the indulgence of the flesh or the restraint of the flesh, not realizing that it's still, either way, it's still living by the flesh. And our God has invoked a new covenant so that we might live according to the Spirit. Anything else is about stealing, killing, and by default, destruction. You will be destroyed. And that's what he means when he says in verse 10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly, more abundantly to the extent that they would have a need for no more, that you might have life. That's why he came. He came so that you might be made spiritually alive, so that you might be resurrected from the dead, so that you might walk in the newness of life, of living with the abundance of what your God gives to you in your inheritance that you receive as a result of his death, according to the will of God. And so this is what it means To follow Jesus, it means that you discover what you have in Christ and you live with what you have. You discover what he has given to you. He has given to you all that you need for life and godliness. He has given to you his very spirit. He has given to you himself. You need to be loved. He loves you perfectly. You need to be accepted. He accepts you perfectly. There is a lot of dysfunction in the world as people are trying to live their lives in the pursuit of love, in the pursuit of acceptance, meaning, and purpose. The amount of failure, destruction, the amount of sin, the amount of pain and suffering can easily be described by people trying to obtain what they don't have what they desperately need. Their hearts are empty and their hearts can only be filled by their God himself. He created us in a way that there is no thing and there is no person who will meet the deepest needs of our hearts. He will not share this kind of relationship with anyone else It is a relationship that can only be experienced between you and him. He will allow no other to take his place in your life. Again, God will allow no other person and no possession that could ever be acquired. He will allow nothing to take his place in your life. And so you either surrender and receive him and live with him or you will be empty and alone all the days of your life and into eternity, even after you physically die. He has provided you with salvation. You must surrender to the covenant that he has defined. 
Again, in verse 10, John chapter 10, verse 10, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. And there are people who can be very well-meaning, very sincere about what they believe and about what they want you to believe. But if it is not true, you will by default be stolen from God. You will continue the spiritual death that you were born into and you will be destroyed, being used in a way that you were not intended by God. Continuing in verse 10, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Jesus came so that you might be made spiritually alive. And part of that includes being given an inheritance in Christ Jesus that you can make use of now and today so that throughout your life you will have what you need to have an increase of great abundance in peace, in joy, in knowing your God. And I will continue with this in the next program. Thank you for listening. This is the 51st program in the verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. In this program, I spoke about John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus was making a comparison between himself and the other teachers there in Israel. I explained the Gospel, which defines the purpose for which Jesus came. He came in order to restore the spirit of life that was lost in Adam. He came to provide for the forgiveness of sins so that the Spirit of God could remain within us and there would be no sin that would cause the Holy Spirit to depart from us ever again. And this is what would establish a new relationship that we could have with our God in comparison with the life under the law that everyone else was teaching that would lead to personal destruction. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net you